God. <sighs> Our lives are in your hands. Our lives are continually um, being monitored by you. You are a loving father who through this psalm is reminding us that you're not only immense, um, just you are magnificent. You really are. God of the universe created everything um, in the universe, um, but you're not only um, immense, but you are also intimate. You really are. Um, and this um, reminds us of that. And so as we reflect on it together as a church community digitally, um, by the power of your spirit, may you use it to give us strength um, for tomorrow um, and the coming months and years. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, as um, doctors all over the world diagnose and care for a growing number of people with COVID-19, they have discovered that there are distinct patterns that give clues about how the illness manifests itself in patients. Very often, they say, people start off with minor physical complaints, slight cough, you know, a mild headache, low-grade fever. And what happens with these symptoms is that they gradually worsen. Patients tend to have these symptoms for about a week before either getting better or getting really sick. Susan Kane um, is a Washington resident and she said she noticed um, her husband Chris develop a nagging cough um, after arriving home from a business trip to a business trip to Florida late last month. Chris Kane, her husband, 55, had no reason to suspect the cough was anything more than a minor cold. He was a non-smoker and he had no underlining um, health conditions. Um, Susan goes on to say it started off as just a little bit of a dry cough. He didn't have any other symptoms but this crazy cough. But over the next few days, her husband's cough grew worse. It ramped up and then it was coughing and choking and just gasping for air. A week later, he was diagnosed with coronavirus and then hospitalized. This may be um, the experience for some, but for others, um, the symptoms of the coronavirus are mild. Donovan Mitchell is a 23-year-old NBA star for the Utah Jazz. Jazz. Um, who, he was tested positive for COVID-19. And when he got diagnosed, he said that the scariest part of his diagnosis was that he had no symptoms at all. He says, I am an asymptomatic 
if I pronounce that right, um, um, <laughs> um, I could walk down the street, he says, if it wasn't public knowledge that I was sick and you wouldn't know it. I think that's the scariest part about this virus is that you may seem fine, be fine, and you never know who you may be talking to, who they're going home to. Donovan's experience with the coronavirus um, in terms of being diagnosed with this serious virus by sh but, but showing no symptoms is an example of the dichotomy um, between appearance and reality. Most of the time, um, what is perceived is different from what is true. And the reason we're often unable to discern what is true from what is false is simply because we're human, okay? Man's knowledge um, of man and of the world is limited. But what if, what if someone could tell the difference? What if there was someone out there who knew everything about you. The Bible is very clear about a lot of things, but one thing the Bible continually reveals to us is that God knows everything. For him, there is no difference between appearance and reality. First Chronicles 28 says, The Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. Man's knowledge of man may be limited, but God's knowledge of man is unlimited. God knows everything about you, and he knows everything about every person on this planet. And Psalm 139 is a vignette of this mind-blowing truth. And that is God is beyond our comprehension. Every time I think about God and what he's created and what he's capable of, it absolutely blows my mind. I can't comprehend it. God is beyond our comprehension, but at, but at the same time, he is deeply personal. He's both immense and intimate. He knows everything about you. God knows you perfectly. All right, let's look at verse 1 of Psalm 139. Verse 1 of Psalm 139. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Stop right there. The word searched here literally means to dig. It's used to describe the searching and digging that takes place when archaeologists search for precious items. And you guys have seen it before, you know, a bunch of smart scientists wearing bland colored clothing go to the middle of nowhere and set up tents and equipment and they just begin to dig for precious items and stuff. And so in a similar way, 
Um, what this idea of the word searched is communicating to us is that God has thoroughly searched us and because of this, he knows us perfectly. No part of you is hidden from his knowledge. So the question then is, what exactly does God know about us? Okay, if he knows everything specifically. What does he know about us? Firstly, it tells us that he knows our thoughts. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. God knows you, your every thought. And what makes this even more astonishing is that he knows your thoughts from afar, it tells us. All right. What this means is that God knows what you're going to think before the thought crystallizes in your mind. (laughs) That's unbelievable. God knows your thoughts from afar. He knows now. Right. What this means is that he knows now. All that you will think later. He knows what you're thinking right now. Okay. He knows what you're thinking about for the next hour. He knows what you're thinking about this whole live stream church thing. Whether you think it's awesome or annoying. I don't know. He knows every thought. You're not the only one aware of your thoughts. God knows them and he knows them perfectly. He doesn't only know your thoughts, he also knows your actions. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. In other words, um, God knows everything you do. He is acquainted with all your ways. He knows all your habits whether they're good or they're bad, he's fully aware of all the things you do that you don't even realize, okay? Before I was married, I had habits. I had things that I did all the time. After I was married, I began to realize that I was a creature of habit. Um, For all you singles out there, people, you know, if you're not married, when you get married, you'll soon realize some of the habits that you have that you don't currently realize that you have. But anyway, I'm a creature of habit. I like the same things. I do the same thing all at the same time. Um, When I, you you know, when when I was in San Diego, um, Eleanor would always joke and say, I know where my husband's going to be. He's going to be in Charlie's Best Bread. I know where he's going to be sitting by the window, okay? And I know what drink he would have ordered, which is a chai tea latte. Um, And I just know what he'll be wearing as well. I'm just a creature of habit. And so God is aware of all of those. God knows all your ways. He knows them all, okay? God not only knows your thoughts and actions, he also knows your every word. Look at verse 4. It says, even before... A word is on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it all together. God knows vividly, vividly every word you have spoken from birth until now. And again, this gets even more fascinating because this verse also shows us that God knows the words you've not spoken yet. Let's read verse 4 again. Okay, read it carefully. It says, 
even before a word is on my tongue, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. God knows what you'll say before you even say it. Whether you whisper it under your breath or you utter it in private or you bite your tongue to keep yourself from saying what you really wanted to say, guess what? God knows. God knows you perfectly. He is not distant. He is near and he's aware of your every thought, word and deed. And the reason God knows you perfectly is because he is close to you. Look at verse 5. It says, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Okay, earlier we were praying um, and Paulette Hagen, Serena's mom, um, mentioned how she sews and how as a sewer she hems and hemming is basically closing, um, just closing. If you sew and you want to bring something together and you close it up, that's my, the best way I can, <laughs> I can explain it. Um, but the whole idea of hemming is kind of closing stuff and surrounding stuff and putting something together. Um, and so this verse is reminding us that um, God surrounds us. He is behind us and he is in front of us. All right. He's hemmed us in. Charles Spurgeon said this, we cannot turn back and so escape him for he is behind. We cannot go forward and, uh, and outmarch him for he is before God has boxed you in. He has surrounded you. Verse 5, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. God surrounds you. He is behind you and he is in front of you. Depending on the relationship you have with him, his surrounding of you can be likened to an army, okay, who is fiercely against you or a father's embrace. I remember preaching this sermon um, several years ago at Reality Early and looking at this passage and as I was talking about this, um, I heard, not while I was preaching, but afterwards from a friend that there was a girl in the audience that was like, oh my gosh, it's so scary <laughs> that God knows everything about me, that he surrounds me. Um, but And then I thought to myself, man, like I would freak out, but it all depends on the kind of relationship I have with God, right? If... Um, I know that through Jesus Christ, God loves me with an everlasting, eternal love and he cares for me. Um, this whole thing um, is so comforting for me. It definitely is. So um, no thought, no thought you think, no word you speak and no action you take escapes God's knowledge. He knows everything about you. He knows you perfectly. And so question is how do these truths make you feel how do they make you feel overwhelmed amazed 
I would guess they blow your mind. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around the fact that God knows everything about us. It's mind-blowing. And this response is expected because it's exactly how David, who is the author of this psalm, felt. That is why he says in verse 6, look at verse 6, everyone. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Just like you right now, David is stunned by how deeply and intimately God knows him. This knowledge exceeds his comprehension and even his imagination. It's like when we see or experience something out of this world and it blows our mind and we try and figure it out, but we can't. And, 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 and this, this place wearing creates in us a sense of frustration and amazement. Um, most of you have seen the Grand Canyon. I remember the first time I laid eyes on the Grand Canyon, I was stunned. <laughs> it was incredible. Um, I remember Jesse, my son, was about six years old or five at the time. And I remember him walking up to the Grand Canyon and I was like, son, wow, what do you think? And he said, dad, it's like a regular mountain. <laughs> I was just like, wow, son. Um, but I was blown away. Um, and this is how... Similar, not like my son, but normal, normally. Um, and this is how these truths about God should make you feel. They should blow your mind. The fact that God knows everything about you, he knows your thoughts, he knows your words, he knows your deeds, should cause you to say, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. There is more. God does not only know you perfectly, um, God is with you continually. Firstly, he is with you at every location. Look at verse 7. It says, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? And this absolutely makes sense because earlier we were told that God has surrounded us. He's hemmed us in before um, and after. And so this all makes sense. Look at verse 8. David doesn't stop there. He continues to emphasize this point by saying in verse 8, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Um, now, the words heaven and sure here um, in verse 8 describe the furthest locations upwards and downwards. They represent the highest heavens and the deepest part of the earth. And at these locations, it's telling us that God is there. There is more. Look at verses 9 and 10. David adds, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me 
and your right hand shall hold me. Okay, the wings of the morning. Such beautiful and elegant metaphor, but what does it all mean? So the word wings here signifies light. Therefore, what is meant by wings of the morning is morning light or the rays of the rising sun. So what David is saying here is that if it was possible for me to fly as swift as the morning light from the east to the west and in a moment get to the furthest parts of the world, even there, God, you are there. What David is trying to communicate as best as he can with words is that God is inescapable. God is inescapable. There is nowhere on this planet you can go without God being there. God is continually with you and he is with you at every location. Okay, secondly, if God is with you at every location, this must also mean he is with you in every situation. Look at verse 11 and 12. It says, If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Light or darkness makes no difference to God. He sees as clearly in the night as he sees in the day. There is no hiding place from God. God sees clearly all that is done in darkness. But I believe that these verses seem to be communicating more. I believe they're also trying to tell us that even in your darkest times, even in your most dire situation, God is with you. He is with you when everything is going well and life is bliss but he's also very much with you when you're struggling when life is as tough as nails the world we're living in is going through a global crisis because of this coronavirus outbreak, I was reading um, this morning, the analysts are anticipating the worst financial crisis since 1929. Many are beginning to lose their jobs. Airlines are cutting jobs by the thousands. Um, and as the outbreak continues to spread, it's definitely becoming a global health crisis the death toll continues to rise and begin uh, it just continues to rise um and the scary thing um about this for me personally and some of you is that um the, the, the death toll is beginning to make its way to your neighborhood to where you live at the moment of course, Italy and some parts of the US and other parts of the world have been hit hard. But the way they're talking about it, 
And the way they're explaining it is that it's making our way and it will affect us all. The state of California has issued a stay home order um, and the state is predicting that half of the residents um, of California will get the virus over the next eight weeks. There is, you know, I was also reading that there's even a shortage of personal protective equipment for health workers, um, which are leaving doctors and nurses ill-equipped to care for. So, like, this whole thing is it's like a nightmare, okay? It's like a nightmare. And you guys know the stats and you guys read about this. It's a nightmare. We are all living within a global crisis. It's affecting the way we live. It's affecting our mental health. Most of us are extremely anxious. It's having a negative effect on all of us. These dark times, these dark times... lead us at times to begin to feel like God may be far and distant. And for some of us, right, we're being haunted by unbelief. And we're asking questions like, where is God? Um, where is God during this coronavirus pandemic? In this season where the globe is overwhelmed with COVID-19, this has to be one of the most asked questions. Where is God? Whether it's being asked with um, pure motives or it's being asked with impure motives, this question is being asked as to where is he, where is God in the middle of this global pandemic? And it's in these moments... In these moments where um, passages and scripture like Psalm 139 is just so helpful and so comforting because it helps us see that God is aware of all of this. He is not far. He is not distant. And um, he is here. And, and there's a lot of times when I go through hard times and I struggle with God's um, with, with God's closeness and involvement in all of this. And whenever I struggle with this, um, I am just comforted by Psalm 139 and so many other passages. And it's just a reminder that God is with us all, right? And every situation, especially in these dark times, and he has being gracious enough to remind us of his nearness and his care and his grace and his love and his power um, through scripture and through his spirit. And so wherever you are, whatever you're going through, look at what verse 10 declares. His hand shall lead you and his right hand shall hold you. God knows you perfectly. He is with you continually and cares for you because he made you. And it's, it's going to be telling us he made 
you wonderfully. Look at verses 13 to 15. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. In these three passages we just read, we are exposed to some of the most extraordinary truths about you. The words used in these verses are remarkable, but words like formed and knitted and made and woven stand out because they convey in a marvelous way the intimate relationship God has with you. You are not a mass-produced item. You were individually and personally handmade by God himself. Everything about you was made by God himself. All this, every part of you, everything about you was made by God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You really are. And um, this is incredible. And like me, if you find yourself despising yourself at times, I just want to remind you today and just speak these truths over you from this passage from God himself. This is what God is saying to you. He is saying, I personally made you. I intricately knitted you together while you were in your mother's womb. I gave you your features, your personality and your abilities. And I want my opinion of you to outshine any others. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You were not an afterthought. I formed and fashioned and made you. You are God's masterpiece. God not only made you wonderfully, but he also mapped out every day of your life look at verse 16 look at verse 16 it says your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them when as yet there was none of them jeremiah 1 5 supports this it says before i formed you in the womb i knew you God has been involved at every stage of your life. He knows everything about you. Why? Because he made you. And because of this, verse 17 and 18 talks about how he thinks about you constantly. And God's thoughts towards you are precious and they are numerous. It says in verse 17 and 18, um, they are more than the sand. In other words, God thinks about you all the time. Verse 18, beginning of verse 18 says, I awake and I'm still with you. Whether you are fast asleep or wide awake, you are on God's mind. There is never a moment God does not think about you and his thoughts towards you are precious. God knows you perfectly. God is with you continually and God made you wonderfully. And God thinks about you constantly. Okay. So far, in this psalm, 
David has been expressing beautifully and poetically the intimate relationship God has with him. Then suddenly he begins to say in verse 19, okay? Oh, that you would slay the wicked. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Oh, what is going on here? <laughs> One minute, David is like, God, you know me and you made me beautifully and wonderfully and all of that. And then suddenly it's like slay the wicked. <laughs> These verses, right? Right. These verses will never be on a Christian T-shirt. I've never seen these verses on a Christian T-shirt. They'll never be found in a worship song. <laughs> Imagine like walking into a church and the church singing verses nine or singing a song based on verses 19 to 20. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Um, I don't know whether anyone has ever had these verses on an index card and memorized them. I don't know. I don't think. Many of us have memorized verses 19 and 20. And so the question is, what is happening? Um, one moment, the tone and words are warm and pleasant. Now they are violent and unpleasant. In verse 19, David desires the wicked to be slayed by God. He wants nothing to do with them. He says, oh, men of blood, depart from me. Okay, he goes on to describe the wicked as those who are who speak against God with malicious intent and take God's name in vain. In verse 20, he, ref he refers to them as enemies of God. So why the sudden change? Does this portion of the psalm even belong here? Okay, is it a misfit? And so based on first impressions, definitely seems like it's a misfit and it doesn't belong here but a close examination reveals that it actually fits perfectly with what has come before and what will come after in fact this is the right and expected response to the truths about god that have been revealed and our response should be an unwavering devotion to God. This devotion or allegiance to God is further clarified in verses um, 21 and 28. Let's read that together. It says, Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. David here, what he's doing is he is pledging his allegiance to God. The wicked are God's enemies. And because of this, they are his enemies. God's um, David's love for God is the motivation behind these expressions. He is so absorbed with who God is and how intimately God knows him. As a result, he begins to love what God loves and hate what God hates. Right? I love my wife, Eleanor. I love my kids. Right? And anyone, anyone who tries to do any harm to them becomes my enemies naturally. In the same way, David's love for God is the catalyst behind his hatred for wickedness. And this is because 
Sin is ultimately against God. And so my question is, what about you? How do you view sin? How do you feel the brokenness of this world? In this world and in your city. How do you respond to murder, rape, theft, adultery, injustice, slavery or racism? Does your devotion to God cause you to hate sin as much as he does? Now, if we were to stop here, we would assume this. We would assume that this is calling everyone to be religious finger pointers. It's as if David is pointing the finger at everybody else, right? It's as if David is saying, yeah, God, I love you because I love you. I hate all wickedness. Oh, look at all those wicked men. Get rid of them. That, that's what it seems if we were to stop here. But David, listen clear, clearly, my digital lovely church family, right? But David then says something that changes the focus. He starts pointing the finger at himself. He says in verse 23 and 24, look at it. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Here, David is asking God to search him so that he may know him, so that God may make sure, that God may reveal in his heart that there's nothing in his heart, in his life, that would grieve God. But an obvious question in response to this is that, hasn't he already made it clear that God knows him fully? That's what we've been talking about, right? For the most part of this passage. And so the question is, why is he asking God to search him when God already knows everything about him? The reason is not that God may know because God knows everything, but that he, that is David himself, may know his own heart. In verse 19 to 22, David points out wickedness in others. But he then asks God to search him because he is aware that he is a sinner and sin and wickedness lurks within his own heart. Jerry Bridges was spot on. He wrote a book um, called Respectable Sins and he says this. He says, we have become so preoccupied with some of the major sins in our society around us that we have lost sight of the need to deal with our own more refined, subtle sins. Do you tend to maximize sin in the lives of others and minimize sin in your own life?
with most people forced to stay home. Um, and I know California is like, everybody stay home. It's different here in the UK. They're not telling us that. Um, but with most people forced to stay home to avoid contracting the COVID-19 um, coronavirus that's sweeping across the globe, what's been interesting is that people are figuring out how to stay busy, active and entertained while at home. And I get it. <laughs> you want to figure out, I'm going to be at home for a while now. I need to, you know, go buy dumbbells and weights. The other, you know, yesterday, you know, Eleanor and I went shopping and we were looking for dumbbells. Sold out everywhere. All right. Everyone's like figuring out how we're going to do this um, on Saturday, Friday, the um, Prime Minister announced that all pubs, all bars, um, all of those places, clubs, everything should be shut down immediately. And as soon as that happened um, on Saturday, all the alcohol <laughs> in the supermarkets were gone. <laughs> right? And so people are stocking up, you know, to survive. But people are also figuring out, how can I keep myself entertained? And for most people, um, binge watching Netflix shows has become a thing to the point where people are concerned um, that the internet's going to break, <laughs> right? Um, home exercise videos, spring cleaning. Some people are spring cleaning, okay? Um, reading good books, board games are selling like crazy now. Video games are some of the ways people are keeping busy, active and entertained as they self-isolate. And I'm sure you've been thinking about this as well. But what if, what if as believers, we took this season of self-quarantine to spend quality time with God, to seek him through his word and prayer so he may reveal areas in our life that is out of sync with what he wants for us. I think in this season, God, especially for believers, God wants to really, really um, do a deep and needed work in all of our lives. And the question we should be thinking about is, are we going to surrender to what he wants to do? Like David are we going to ask God to search us and know our hearts and see if there be any grievous way in us and then leave us in the, lead us in the way everlasting? Are we going to have, are we, do we love God enough to allow him to search us and to help us see um, things in our life? 
that are out of sync with what he wants with our life. And for me, um, when God um, gets me, disconnects me from many of my distractions and gets me alone with him, he often does that. He often begins to diagnose many heart issues I've had. And God does that not in order to condemn us, but in order to bring about healing. If you were to ask God to search you in order to reveal subtle sins in your life, I wonder what he would show you. If you were to ask God to search you in order to reveal subtle sins in your life, I wonder what he would show you. All of us are sinners. We are either religious hypocrites or rebellious hedonists. The religious in us points the finger at others. The rebellious shakes their fist at God. One denies, but the other defies. So then, if that is true, if there is wickedness in all of us, if we are all religious or rebellious, how then, like David, can we ask God to search us and trust that he will lead us in the way everlasting? How? This is how. The reason David could approach God and ask with confidence to be searched is the same reason the prodigal son, who was wicked, could run into the open arms of his father. The reason the prodigal son could return home, though he had blown it, was because he had a need and realized his father was the only one that could meet his needs. He came humbly expecting to serve food at the table, but he ended up becoming the guest of honor at the table. Like the prodigal son, we're all in need, but our need is not food or shelter but forgiveness of sins and a right relationship with God our Father. And God our Father has provided for us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because of Christ, you don't need to fear in this season. that we're in you don't need to fear because of Christ you can know that God is with you in every season because of Christ you can be confident that God will provide all of your needs because of Christ come what may come what may God, your creator, will sustain you. Because of Jesus, you can trust that God will reveal sin in your life, not to condemn you, but to heal and grow you. What an amazing reminder from one Psalm 139, that God is 
immense. He is great, but he is also very much intimate. And because he's intimate, we don't need to fear. And because he's intimate, we want to make sure that there is nothing in our life that is getting in the way of us knowing him and experiencing him to the fullest. And he is gracious and loving enough to want to not only reveal those to us, but empower us to repent and enjoy him forever. Amen to that. Let's pray. God, thank you. Because of Jesus, we can confidently and with boldness approach your throne of grace. And even though we are sinners, we know that you welcome us and that you will you will cleanse us and that you will begin to bring about healing in our life thank you for our gathering thank you for your words father anything i've said um that i should have said that i didn't say god may you begin to speak in all of our hearts in jesus name amen <laughs>